Uh, just want to make a book available to you that will really, really impact you. It's called The Power That Changes the World. It's by Bill Johnson. And uh, we have a special price on this. Uh, I'm looking for Siandria to tell me how much it is. for these. They're in the bookstore. Really encourage you to grab hold of that and pray pray through it. There we go. Pray through it. It's a wonderful, wonderful book on the power that changes the world. And uh, Bill Johnson's a dear friend, as you know. So you want to take advantage of that. Man, a lot going on this morning, huh? Good stuff, yeah. And it's wonderful. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy of me. Lift up your... For you have a lion inside of those... Get up and praise the Lord. Yeah. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. For you have a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. For you have a lion inside of those lungs. Get up. I'm going to keep singing it till you do it. Here we go. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. For you have a lion inside of those lungs. So get up. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Come on. So I throw up my hands. Let's do it. Throw up your hands and praise him right now. Out of your own verse. Out of your own words. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Yeah, we thank you, God. We bless your name. We bless your name. We bless your name. We bless your name. Lord, let your praises dispel, let your praises dispel all the foreign spirits in the name of Jesus, let your praises dispel all of the illness and sicknesses in the name of Jesus, let your praises change and transform those who are bound in Jesus' name, let it happen. (laughs) I'm reminded we were in in Fiji a few years ago, well, quite a few years ago now, church of about 4,000 at the time, and and we were, I <clears throat> got up, and I just felt like, you know, there just needs to be a shout in the house, just needs to be a shout released in the house, and wow, uh, so we did that, and it went on, and I actually have a recording of it somewhere, it went on and on and on and on, and as I was watching, I could see in the spirit, I could see demonic forces exiting the back door, just running out as fast as they could as people worshiped and praised the Lord and exalted his name. Worship is a wonderful thing. I know that I will never change the habit of many of you. But I have to tell you, I don't get it. Paul Schock says, praise is the plow that prepares the heart for the planting of the promises. If that is true, and I believe it is, where are you guys at at 10 o'clock? <laughs> worship. Not the church starts at 10 o'clock. Worship starts at 10 o'clock. Now, I don't get it. I know I won't change. You know, I've lived long enough with you people. 
I know I'm not going to change your habits. I wish I could. And I wouldn't want to control you in any way. But can I encourage you? Can I stir up your heart for more that God has for you? If you'll get here on time and get into the worship so that the, the, the presence of the Lord in you is stirred up. So you get up my soul. Don't wait for the last song to get up my soul. Listen, there's more people in this house right now that are shaking their head like this than that are here that, at 10 o'clock. So you're saying one thing and you're doing something else. I better stop right now. Do I, should I stop? I, I should better stop. Deb says I need to stop. Oh, yeah, give me a chocolate chip cookie and I'll stop. All right. Oh, man. So I want to speak, uh, as I did a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, about tithes and offerings before we take our tithes and offerings this morning. I'm going to teach on it for a few minutes. Uh, and I've got some real reasons for that. I'll share that in a minute. But before I do that, I, I want to do something uh, that I think is important. Would you all stand with me, please? I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray in a unique way. I, ha- I, don't, I don't remember having ever prayed this way, but I believe it's, it's biblical and it's in the spirit of the Lord. So we just bow your head and pray with me. Father, thank you so much for the time together with your people. Where two or three are gathered, you are there, and you're not here to, to just observe. You're here to participate. You want to say something to us. And touch us and inspire us and change us and transform who we are, who we were yesterday into something you want us to be tomorrow. That's why we're here. So I call the spirit of everyone in this church to the front. I call your spirit to rise up and be the primary hearer of the word of God this morning. That your spirit be the primary hearer of the word that you would hear what God is saying in this house today not hear according to your soul so I call your spirit in the name of Jesus I call your spirit forward to be primary in these moments amen amen be seated would you feel something in that yeah yeah, that's a good thing to do to yourself, doing yourself when you come in to hear the word of the Lord. Uh, okay, well, we're going to talk about legacy in a little bit, but uh, I do want to talk a little bit more about this. I'm going to read out of Malachi, it's for, verse we're becoming very familiar with again, uh, but I want to point out some stuff here. Uh, verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, in other words, test me says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall the vine fall to uh, fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. All nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land. How many of you want to be a delightful land, huh? All of that that I just read is a bunch 
of nothing. It has no purpose. It has no meaning. Unless you believe it. Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God. I like to say it this way. Faith gives God the pleasure he deserves. And all that I just read doesn't mean anything unless we believe it and that activates it. And this is not not the pleasure of God like uh, the pleasure of a potentate sitting on his throne wanting everybody to come and throw gifts and pleasure to him. But it's the pleasure of a father that witnesses a child who has taken hold of a truth that the parent has been trying to teach them. And they begin to apply that and it becomes and it begins to turn that life into prosperity for that son or that daughter. And that parent looks at that and takes pleasure in what's happening in their child. That's what it's talking about here. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. When we take hold of faith and we respond in faith and we do what he asks us to do, and we believe that he is who he says he is, and he does what he says he will do, when we do that, we give God pleasure because he sees the fruit of it borne out in our life. Hello. Are you here? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. It's a father that knows if his children will listen and respond to wisdom, that they'll have success in life. That's the pleasure of the Lord. And tithe is a belief issue. It's a faith issue. It's only activated when we believe and respond in faith. And the question is, do I believe when God says that tithing is the key that unlocks heaven's resources and blocks the efforts of the enemy? Do I believe it? Because if I don't believe it, it doesn't do me any good. And do I have faith to risk the 10% of all my income to answer God's challenge, to test him, to push all my chips to the middle of the table and bet on God? Do I believe his word enough? Tithing, listen, I get it. Tithing is a fearful thing in the natural it's scary you guys it's a fearful thing to risk 10% of your income especially when you you, you believe that the 100% you have isn't going far enough huh it doesn't make sense it's not logical It's only logical. It only makes sense in the world of faith. When we believe God is who he says he is and does what he says he will do, it makes sense. It not only makes sense, it's wisdom. It's godly wisdom. It's heavenly wisdom. And by the way, it works. I'd love to tell you a story. You've heard me tell stories. I could tell you stories all morning long. But it works. Every decision we make is either from fear or from love. You realize that, don't you? And it's important for us to understand that. It's important for us to recognize fear-based decisions. 
Fear-based decisions will take us where we never wanted to go, cost us more than we can afford, and leave us in a place we never wanted to be. That's what fear-based decisions, no matter what part of life, whether it's in finances or in relationships, in your job, in any, any decision you make in life, if it's fear-based, it will take you where you don't want to go. It will cost you more than you can afford. And it will leave you in a place you never wanted to be in. To not tithe is a fear-based decision. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take a drink. I'm going to turn over here like, like Ivan does. And I'm going to go back here. He finds particular grace by looking back here. So I'm going to try it because I'm not feeling the love. To not tithe is a fear-based decision. And it will leave us exposed to the thief and restrict our prosperity. Now, there's a difference between being rich and being prosperous. Am I saying to you, if you don't tithe, you'll never be rich? No, not saying that at all. Because if you understand money, if you understand how the world works, you can get rich in this world. But there's a huge difference between riches and prosperity. Riches will leave you wanting more and more of nothing. Prosperity will fulfill your life. So, no, you can get rich without tithing. You can do it. People do it all over. Just take a look at the top 20 people who are wealthy. But that's not what we're looking for. Say, oh, I wouldn't mind it. (laughs) We want the kind of riches that come with no, none of the things that come with wealth in this world. We want the riches that God brings. And there's no shame in it, right? That's what we're looking for. When we withhold a tithe, it becomes a seed that doesn't produce or reproduce. It's something we hold in our life, and we control it. We want control over it. John 12, 24, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, and that word most assuredly simply means modern translation, you can take this to the bank. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. What we hold on and control through fear of losing it or fear of not having enough is a seed that never, rem- that never becomes fruitful. Amen. In fact, it just molds. When we release it and give up our control of it, it falls into the hand of God's multiplication. That's the soil. Tithing, though, is a love-based decision. It's a love-based. It's love of God and love of his people and... <clears throat> and love the giving him pleasure through our faith demonstrated through our giving provides the resources for his church. It's the love-based decision that produces much fruit in us and in the church that we planted in. Because this is the way God has designed his church to be financed. You don't have to like it. But I'll tell you, if you'll do it, you'll love it. 
Is there no one in the house who will say amen? <laughs> Worship team, why don't you come up? Let me talk again and remind maybe those that weren't here a couple few weeks ago when I talked about this. What my motivation and the motivation of Ryan and the motivation of the church council is in, in is even presenting this. There's two, and both of them very important. First one is that we have a responsibility to see to the financial health of the mission. That's our responsibility. To not teach on God's method of financing the church would be a dereliction of duty. We would not be doing the job that we are here to do. One of the things. But our greatest motivation, and and this will only mean something to, to you if you believe me. Our greatest motivation is to see everyone that comes through this door have personal prosperity in every area of your life. So we teach on all kinds of areas of our life. And to not teach on one of the main keys to that prosperity would be a failure to love you. And we won't do that. Now, you say, what if I, what if I take a risk, take God at his word, and begin to tithe? Will everything go absolutely smooth and life no longer have any problems? What world do you live in? Every step of faith, no matter what area of our life we we walk in, is going to be challenged at some point. I love the testimonies. We've had some testimonies of where people have started to tithe when they either forgot about it during COVID and realized they, they needed to get back to it or they're brand new tithers. And there's testimonies in that very next week that God supplied that and much more to them in supernatural provision. I love those testimonies. And God does that. But at some point, you're going to be challenged where you get that 10% is going to look like all you have. The widow who took her two mites and she brought them to the the house and she gave it. That was all she had. But I don't believe that woman gave it in some kind of desperation of like, I'm going to give this and die. She like, she knew what she was giving. The devourer will be rebuked. Windows of heaven are going to be open. And that's why Jesus, Jesus looked at her and said to his disciples, did you see that? Belief is always tested because faith is intended to change a current reality. Get this. Faith is intended to change a current reality. There's something in our life that needs changing. And when we act in faith, it changes that current reality. That's what tithing does. When we do it in faith. So I guess it's kind of time to believe, to practice what we believe. But I want to read a little bit more of the the passage in Malachi that we don't often read about. Just following that whole testimony of what God would do when we tithe. 
Then he goes on, and there's two, there's two discussions that are going on that God overhears. Here's the first one. He says, your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it is useless to serve God. Oh my. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance? That we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts. So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. That's one conversation. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. What did they say? It doesn't say. But I'm sure it's the opposite of what we just read. Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. Oh, I love this. So a book of remembrance was written before him. For those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name, a book of remembrance. Heaven is writing down our conversations about how good he is, about how we trust him, about our faith in him. He's writing those down and presenting them to the Lord. And here's God's response. So they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day, I make them my treasure. I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. A book of remembrance. Wow. As a writer, I can see it. I can see it. The scribes are writing down. Every time you put your faith in God and you deposit that 10%, you don't even think you can afford. He's writing it down, presenting it to the Lord. He's going, ah, he's testing me. I'll open the windows of heaven. All of the resources of heaven become ours when we trust him. (laughs) So let's stand up. Get ready to give. time to change your current reality and start something you've never done before when was the last time you did something for the first time for some of you have never tied you probably have arguments but years ago Cletty Keith said a man with a testimony is never subject to a man with an argument there are testimonies all around you. There are testimony in this church. You know that this church tithes 10% its general income into missions. We believe in it. We did that when we had no money. When we were so broke we couldn't buy a ream of paper. When some of us were not even getting paid because we couldn't afford salaries. We tithed on 10% of what came in. believe in it. Why? Because we believe in Him. Is He ready? Ready ready to give? So we're going to give here in just a moment. The bags are going to be passed, so you can go ahead and sit down in a minute after we get done praying.
And, uh, but if you want to go to the giving stations, you can do that. Give online, of course, all the ways that you know how to give. But I want to just say, too, that you, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this later, we are in the middle of a miracle right now. An absolute miracle is happening in the finances of this church right now because of your faithfulness. Where we were three months ago is so opposite. Well, where we are now is so opposite of where we were three months ago. So I want to say thank you for your faithfulness. We've had the breakthrough. Now let's do the follow through. Father, thank you so much for who you are and that you challenge us not so you can be feel good about something but so your people will be set free and then you take pleasure in the freedom of your people so we just give now we let this part of our spirit rise come on my soul we let it rise up Amen. Okay, take a few minutes to give, and then we'll get right back into studying on legacy. legacy is because we have one handed to us and we have one that we're building and we have one that we've got to hand off we better pay attention to it right most people don't only start thinking about their legacy when they get to be my age right come on but the truth is that we start creating legacy the moment we start making responsible choices the moment we start making choices in life we now begin to build the legacy that we're going to pass on the next generation so it's important that we do that. So we're going to, we're spending time on this because this is something that uh, God is interested in. 
So we're going to talk about a build, one of the building blocks of, of a godly legacy, how to build a godly legacy. One building block this morning is living and thinking generationally. Right, look at somebody else and say, we are all of the same generation. We are the generation that is alive on the earth at this moment. Right? So we're in this thing together, whether young or old. But there are other generations. That's the age generation that does change. And we recognize that there are some differences in the generations. Yes, sir. But generational thinking is really important for, with God. We see it in the Old Testament. We see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob mentioned together over and over and over again. Often mentioned in Scripture, scripture when in addressing inheritance or legacy. In Exodus 6, 8, I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Generations. And I will give it to you as an inheritance, as a heritage. Exodus 33, Numbers 32, Deuteronomy 1, 6, 9, 29, 30, and 34. 2 Kings 13, Jeremiah 33. All of those talk about a generational blessing. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. New Testament, Matthew 22, God is speaking. He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Generational thinking. Hmm. Hmm. Psalms 145, 4. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. We see this picture when when Israel crosses over into the promised land and they're instructed to go and take stones out of the river and bring them over into the promised land and build a, a remembrance, pile of stones, so that when their children go by and say, what do those mean? The parents can say, well, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. Let me give you the legacy that's behind you. And it's important. Legacy for generations. So what is it to live and think generationally in a way that adds to a godly legacy? Please understand, I understand the time today. I'm on Hawaii time. It's only 8.30 in Hawaii. Let's first look at what, it's, what, it, uh, what it looks like to not live generationally. One of the saddest scriptures in the Bible, 2 Kings chapter, uh, chapter 20. Story of Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a godly king, does wonderful things, uh, brings prosperity to the nation, but then he, he's, he's sick and he's dying. And uh, the prophet comes and says, you're going to die. That's, that's what's going to happen. And he cries out to the Lord. The prophet leaves his house. The Lord arrests the prophet and says, no, go back to him and tell him this, that I will give him 15 more years of life. So he goes back and, and Hezekiah says, well, how am I going to believe that? And the prophet says, well, what do you want to do? You want to set the sun an hour forward or an hour back? And Hezekiah, being a wise king, he said, well, it's easy to set it an hour forward. I don't know how he thinks it's easy to do that. So let's go backwards an hour. And so God sets the sun back an hour on Hezekiah's behalf and heals Hezekiah. After that, Hezekiah becomes a prideful man. 
And in his pride, he exposes the kingdom to another nation in such a way that the, that other nation now is coming to take everything. So the prophet comes to Hezekiah and says this, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all this, all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, said the Lord. And they, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. We all understand what a eunuch is, right? Cannot produce or reproduce. And here's Hezekiah's response. Here's the point of choice for Hezekiah. Hezekiah could have approached the Lord just like he did before and say, God, please rescue us from this. This is what he could have done. He had favor with God in spite of his failure. But instead of pleading for the next generations, he said this. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, will there not be peace and truth at least in my day? That is one generational thinking. It's only about here and now. It's only about me. It's only about my pleasure. It's only about my safety. It's only about my security. One of the worst Worst passages in the Bible. One generational living is selfish and produces a legacy of fruitfulness for future generations. Proverbs 11.24 says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. It's what happens with one generational thinking, one generational living. It shrinks... Shrinks not only the world to come, but it shrinks our world too. When we live one generationally, we reduce our world and shrink our dreams to the here and now. Not only do we not produce for the next generation, but we also set up roadblocks for the next generation to have to overcome in order to be prosperous. My mom, my dad, my dad, you know, I've told, me, I've told lots of stories, but my dad had a wonderful life. But to get there, he had to overcome some terrible things that were laid in front of him by a one-generational parent who was only concerned about her well-being, was only concerned about what she had, and had no concern about the next generation. My dad had to overcome all of those things, and I watched him do it, which was wonderful the way he did it. Because of the grace of God in his life, he became a man of God. But he had to go through so much because of a one generational parent. My mom had a father. You've heard me tell the stories, but he was a one generational father, only cared about himself. And she had to overcome that so much so that until I was 10 years old, she never even talked about my grandfather. She never even in, would not take me to see my grandfather, my, my sister and I. Because he was such an evil man when she was growing up. 
And she actually heard that he had come to Christ and that he'd become this mellow, wonderful, generous man of God. But she couldn't believe it because all the pictures she had was of her dad doing horrible things. So she wouldn't let us go see her until she found out he was dying. And literally in the middle of the night, we packed in the car and drove to Idaho to see him. We didn't get there in time. He was dead when we got there. But we walked into his house. Laying by his bed was his Bible that was obviously read over and over again. And on the wall were pictures of my sister and I that since he came to Christ, he'd been praying for every day. And my mom was robbed of allowing her children to see the glory of the Lord because of what her dad had done in the one generational living. Do you get it? This is what one generational living does. So enough of that. Take a breath. You're welcome. <laughs> I love you. Yeah, yeah. That's why I love you. I think you love me too. So what does it look like to live and think generationally? So first, first Chronicles chapter 28. We've talked a lot about David when we were talking about, uh, about legacy because it, he, he just did some things really well. And we see in, ch- in chapter 28, he is uh, getting old and he knows he has to do some things for the future. And so we get to verse, second, uh, verse two. Let's go start from there. Then King David rose to us. Oh, no, we've got we to go up one, one verse early. David assembled at Jerusalem all the leaders of Israel, the officers, the tribes, the captains of the divisions who served the king, the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds and stewards over all the substance and possessions of the king and his sons with the officials, the valiant men, and all the mighty men of valor. So these are all people that have served with David all of his lifetime that have come and served with him. They've done, gone through war and battle together. They, they have lived with, this, with David. He's been their king all this time. And then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build the house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and for the footstool, footstool of our God and had made preparations to build it. So I did... I, I was, I was going to do it for me. I was going to do it. But God said to me, you shall not build for my house because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. Now, David had three choices when this word of the Lord came to him. He could build it anyway. How many of you have ever ignored the word of the Lord? Did somebody just say my husband? (laughs) He could have built it anyway. This is one generational thinking. It's more about his reputation than his legacy. You got to know, reputation 
is hardly worth protecting most of the time. It can be lost in a moment. All somebody has to do is accuse you of something you haven't even done. And so many will believe it. Your reputation is gone. But he could have done it anyway. Secondly, he could have, he could have uh, held on to the provisions and the plans that he had for it and said to Samuel, you're on your own, buddy. This will teach you. Right? That again is one generational thinking because Solomon, I need this for my retirement. <laughs> Come on. That's one generational thinking. Listen, save for your retirement. Please save for your retirement. But that's not your goal. If it is, it's one generational thinking. Thirdly, he did it could he could do what he did. Invest in the next generation and give his favor and his resources to help his son be successful. And he even gave, when you read farther down, he even gave his personal wealth. Everything, that he had, his spe- effects to, it says his special treasures. The things that were most valuable to him, he gave to the next generation. His treasures of gold and silver so that Solomon could build what he needed to build. And he gave his favor. This is so important. Again, he's talking to people who he had great favor with. He, he served in the trenches with these people. So these were men and women who knew him, loved him, had great favor. He could ask just about anything of them. And what does he ask them to do? Honor my son Solomon. He gave his favor over to his son, to the next generation and the generations to come. Because generational thinking is living and investing is investing and promoting the next generation. We're not so good at that in our world today. We're more into criticizing than advancing the next generation. There's a difference between celebrating and championing the next generation. Celebrating is to cheer them on from the bleachers. Right? And it's, it's a good thing, not a bad thing. Come on, you guys can do it. Yeah, yeah. Proud of you. Go for it, go for it. But to champion a generation is to get in the trenches with them. Even when they look differently than we do, sound different than we do, sometimes have different values than we do, but we'll never influence them if we don't get in the trenches with them. And we can't do this unless we believe in them. If all we do is criticize them for for being different than our generation. See, every, every generation is designed by God to do wonders in the world. He placed them on the planet for a purpose, just like he did you and me, whatever generation you're in. Your generation is no special. Yeah, I hate to tell you this, but you're not special as a generation. 
Every generation has a call of God on its life. And if we don't believe in them, we'll never pull that calling out of their life. They're meant to do wonders. And all we do is wonder about them. It's time to champion the generations around us. Not criticize. Whether you're a younger generation and you're looking at the older generation, older generation looking at the younger. Doesn't matter. We were, Ryan and I uh, and some other friends of ours were in Wyoming a few weeks ago. Did you tell this testimony about Larry? No? This is amazing. Well, there was a, there's about 130 people there, something like that, that, that in a town of 350, <laughs> out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. In fact, you go to nowhere and then you go to La Barge. <laughs> and we've been there, I've, I've been there now seven years uh, going to this conference, and it's wonderful. People come from all over the different parts of the United States. Uh, but there was one one man that came. He was a he was a pastor who was not pastoring at the moment because he'd been uh, sick with cancer for quite a while. He'd gone through six treatment six six rounds of treatments uh, in chemo over quite a bit of period of time, and they had just found more tumors all over his stomach when he came to this conference. First time he had come. We were doing worship. Uh, the night when all the people were there, it would be Friday night. And these kids gathered around him and started to pray for him. Young generation. And they laid hands on him. And they prayed. They prayed. And 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 they prayed. How long? 40 minutes minimum. And they did not quit. And there was not one moment where their energy waned. They just prayed and prayed and prayed. And the entire time this man is having encounters with God that he shared with me later, the wonderful, wonderful things that God was saying to him. The next night, those kids came back again, found him and said, can we pray for you? This is the generation that's coming up. Are we going to invest in that generation? Or are we going to think they're just kids? Or when they get to be teenagers, think they're just nothing but problems? Listen, you saw, some of you saw the Jesus movie. How many saw that Jesus, whatever it was called, the Jesus move, movement movie, movement movie? Jesus Revolution. Listen, I lived through that. I was the nice church guy as a teenager that watched them come in. I was excited about it. But a lot of the others weren't so excited. Why? Because they stunk. They wore clothes that were different. They didn't even put, sometimes they had sandals, sometimes just barefoot. But there was a call on that generation. I don't want to miss the call on the next generation. I want to think generationally. Anyway, these kids, back to these kids, they prayed like crazy over this guy. We just got a report. He went back the next day. We, we, uh, he left there on Sunday, on Monday. 
He had a biopsy. No cancer. No cancer. No cancer. Every generation has a call of God on its life. But we've got to think generationally. Or we'll just sit there and watch it all go by. We need to get in the trenches with them. And make a difference. Generational living is being willing. I'll quit on this. To start something you will never see the fruit of in your lifetime. To build with the future in mind. To not be concerned about our reputation in the now. But the legacy for others to complete. I mean... This is what we're doing in Fiji, what you all are doing in Fiji right now. We're building a campus I probably will not see fulfilled because it's going to take years for it to happen. And I don't know if I'll see it fully completed, but I'm willing to invest in it because there's a generation following that has a call. Living generationally. Great Wall of China. Have you ever, any, anybody ever been there? Raise your hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's nothing like it in the world. It can actually be seen from space. It is unbelievable to stand on that wall and watch that thing circle through the mountains. That's, it's crazy. It was started to be built in 600 BC. Somebody had a vision. For generations to come. But it was not completed until 1600 AD. That's 2400 years. That man built, started building something that would not be finished for 2400 years. But he had enough vision. He thought generationally, there'll be somebody along the line that's going to finish this project. Right now, we've been handed a legacy of God's miracles over the last 30 years in this house. We have so many stories. And I love telling the stories. But I believe, that right, because, because living generation is living so the next generation will have stories to tell. But not just stories to tell, but stories that will inspire them to greatness. They need stories. There's a book called, uh, oh, shoot. Uh, its premise is we are wi- oh, wired for story. Wired for story. It's how our brains are wired. We're wired for story. And our, the next generation has to hear stories of what God does and has done. So they can stand on that and say, if they did it for them, he can do it for me, and I can even go higher. And we have stories. And I love our stories. But I believe God's given us a new beginning here. A fresh opportunity to build again. I'm not talking about building a building. Who knows what that'll look like eventually someday. But a fresh opportunity to build into the generations. To do it with the generations to follow in mind and action. I believe we've, we've crossed the Jordan. And we're on the other side right now. I don't know if you're seeing this, but I'm seeing this. Listen, I've been, I've been here for a while, over 30 years. I've been in public ministry for over 50 years. I've seen a few things, and that could leave me jaded. 
But it doesn't. Because I've seen what God can do. And I know what he's up to. Do you get it? He's up to something. It's a new thing. It's a new beginning. And we all get to fit into that. To what God wants to do. We all have a place in that. It's important to bring the stones from the past legacy so that our children can relate to the stories. But now it's time to take new territory that will provide the stories for the next generation. Do you realize right now, catch the moment, please. Right now, we are establishing stories that the next generation, that even five years from now, we'll look back and say to our kids, Do you remember, let me tell you about what God did in 2023, what he did in 2024. That's happening. I'm going back. Ivan is right. I think you all are hearing me. I'm more excited about the legacy we're building right now than the legacy we have built. The the miracles we're experiencing and going to experience now more than the ones we've already had because he's a God of going from glory to glory with ever-increasing glory. That's who he is. He's the God of the more. And you can hear these great stories and think, oh, I guess we missed it. No, he didn't miss it. He didn't miss it. He didn't miss it at all. You think he doesn't have some more new? Right? He's the God of the new. And he has some more new. (laughs) See, that's the problem with the moves of God and the way we deal with the moves of God. We think that the move that we were in was his last new. Come on. (laughs) I remember my mom... She saw what was going on during renewal, and she goes, I know this. We've seen this before. But she said, but it's different. I said, yeah. All right. Those of you who have come and are new to the house, but you begin to feel like this is your place. Those who have begun to tithe again, those who have given their given above their tithe to bring the financial miracle we've now experiencing. Those who have picked up the towel of service to our children, to our youth, to serve the community here, to serve the people of this community. You're all building a legacy for the next generation. You are creating stories that the next generation will build on. So I invite you to be part of the generational legacy builders. It's what we get to do. Go ahead and stand. I don't know all that God is going to do. I don't know what this all looks like. I didn't know going into renewal what it looked like. Had I known, I would have run, run as fast as I could run. There are some things that God hides from us for our good (laughs) until he reveals them to us. 
But I do know this, that I believe he who has begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus coming. He will complete it. I'm confident of this one thing. So let's all be part of it. Let's all pick up the towel as Jesus did with his disciples. Pick up the towel of service. See, the thing that scared Peter, you know, Peter said, oh, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet. Remember the story? The thing that scared Peter was the, the picture that Jesus was drawing of leadership. And he's thinking, no, I don't want that kind of leadership. I want the kind where I'm king. But let's pick up the towel of service, servant leadership, serve one another, serve our community. Let's just watch and see what God will do. Okay. Father, thank you so much. We love you. We love you. We love you. We say in our heart, we want to affect the generations to come. We want to be part of that. So we lay aside our own agendas that are contrary to that thinking. And we embrace what is important to you, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We embrace that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, There are teams now getting ready for uh, prophetic teams. And they would love to prophesy over you. If you don't have a prophecy, uh, you're welcome to get in line there in just a moment. Ministry team, if you can come down, who's ever left on the ministry team that's not on the prophetic teams, uh, come on down. And, uh, and if you'd like prayer this morning, love to pray for you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Again, go ahead and get in line over there if you want a prophetic word or you just need a fresh, a fresh one. Go get one. Now's your chance.